Chase, white circle, shoots and scores! A shorthanded goal for Jonathan Tate! Kubelik in front, he shoots and scores! Dominic Kubelik on a belief line, right circle, shoots and scores! He set it up for Carpenter to slice and he scores! Patrick Kane has a thousand NHL points! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Is this the game that gets Alex to bring it back on track? Here's Kane, top left circle, shooting scores! In front of the net, I believe to bring it, tapped it, and the Hawks have finally solved Pecorino in this hockey game. Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. The power play goal, he's standing in front of the net, put the breakaway in overtime. That's one where you're going, wow. Picked off by Keith. Did it break it? A breakaway in overtime for the win. On the Predator line. Shoots and scores! The cap! It's an overtime game-winning goal! That's hockey, baby! Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a fresh edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast presented by FanList. I'm your pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio for Blackhawks uh, Hockey, Chris Bowden, joined, as always, by our WGN Blackhawks reporter and uh, morning host on weekends, Saturday and Sunday, Joe Brand. And uh, before we tell you a little about FanList, we hope all of you and yours are doing well with some of the numbers, the amazing numbers that we've been seeing through um, this COVID-19 attack. Um, It's hard to think that a a lot of people have not been affected by this in some form or fashion. Uh, Luckily, in my case, uh, things seem to be going well in terms of my friends and family. And Joe, I certainly hope uh, the same uh, situation uh, is for you and for most, if not all, of our Blackhawks Crazy Podcast listeners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the circumstances we've been dealing with, I'd have to say I'm very, very lucky, very healthy, very safe. So I, um, you know, I'm very fortunate for that. I can only hope the best for our listeners, our our, our fans, at Blackhawks fans as a whole. Obviously, still scary times that we're going through, and. I think the scariest thing is the unknown, and that's what it continues to be. Yep, and uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper into this momentarily. But first, we want to tell you the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast, as always, is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy. That's spelled F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. FanList partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and list tickets for sale across all marketplaces all at once. Sites like StubHub. Vivid Seats, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many more. And they do all the work. Multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, FanList is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, FanList charges the industry standard 15% of the final sale price. It's the same rate that all those major marketplaces charge. There are no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you, as a season ticket holder, to sell your tickets. Go to FanList.com slash BlackHawksCrate to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale, F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash Blackhawks crazy. And while stick tapping fan list, we know their whole business is on hold right now. Everything is on hold right now. The world is on hold right now, except for those folks who are working in the hospitals, uh, facing dangerous situations and trying to 
hopefully bring an end to this thing, as well as uh, all the folks, the delivery drivers. We hope uh, as many restaurants as possible are getting enough business through all this, all the folks in the grocery stores as well. But uh, everything is on hold right now. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out if we remember how to do a podcast, because uh, we thought we were just going to sign off until we had some eventual word. But we have been doing these uh, Stanley Cup playoff rebroadcasts on the weekends, uh, Saturdays and Sundays on WGN from 2010, and then we will eventually get to 2013 and 2015 to kind of fill the void. And we will go through the 2010 Stanley Cup run along with some uh, highlights. Uh, that's one of the main reasons we're, we're rejoining you here on the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. But uh, Joe, you look a little different here. You're going rogue. This is this is a uh, itchy scratchy, uh, Joe Brandt. or is it itchy scratchy? You tell me. Yeah, you know, you know, I feel like today is the first day I haven't felt it actually itch, and it's the first day we're I've talking actually, about a beard. Yeah, uh, th- thank you. Um, it's the first day I've actually been okay with it. Uh, I've never been proud of my facial hair because it h- hardly has been anything at all. I have this natural goatee, which I'm not a fan of because I've got I've got some sideburns and a, a natural goatee, and none of it connects. But I guess after basically three weeks, it actually starts to resemble something like a beard. So I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't even say I'm proud of it. I just tolerate it. Now, you're, you're a little scruffy, though, too. Yes, but you see, I'm almost twice as old as you are, and you can already grow a beard better than I ever could. So, uh, I'm pushing yeah, we, we 30, though. It's nothing how, to brag about. How, uh, how is the wife feeling about it? That's she's, okay, the she's okay, okay with it, basically, because she's never <laughs> seen it before. So it's kind of experimentation for both of us. And uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, today was the first day I've been uh, okay with it. All right. And I imagine a lot of the folks out there, our listeners and a lot of <laughs> other people, are going that route as well. Only break out the uh, the razor when you necessarily have to with so many of us working from home. And um, yes, we'll get into a little bit bigger picture and, and maybe some of our guesswork. Um, and, and really, it is like closing your eyes and throwing a dart at a dartboard right now in terms of the future of the NHL, the future of sports, when there is so much uh, so big a question mark hanging over everything. But another reason that we wanted to come to you is because uh, there is some fresh material to discuss and uh, fresh material that we hear from. Jonathan Taves, uh, NHL.com is, uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, has gotten three or four players from each central division, do a, a video conference call, uh, ask fans and media members to submit questions, and for about 30 minutes, uh, the NHL with uh, John Delapina from the league offices acting as moderator uh, has some Q&A with some of those players. They did it with uh, the three previous divisions as well, and Earlier last week, uh, on Tuesday, it was the Central Division's turn, and the Blackhawks' captain, Jonathan Taves, was part of it, along with the Blues' Alex Petrangelo and the Nashville Predators' Roman Yossi. And we wanted to give you an edited-down version of what the captain had to say, some of his thoughts, some of the questions he was asked. And by and large, it's all Jonathan here, because the call went about 30 minutes. This is a little bit more than six minutes of Jonathan, only with a little bit from Alex Petrangelo. And, and you'll understand the reason why, because Jonathan kind of played off of one of Petrangelo's answers to these questions. But uh, just to set things up, uh, the things that Jonathan touches on here, a number of topics, how you know uh, he and these other players are trying to take care of their bodies without any access to team facilities or you know, shared gyms. And, and uh, you know, we talk about how some of us are mixed up with some of our days. What day of the week is it right now when we're all stuck at home? You hear Jonathan mix things up in terms of when the Blackhawks played their last game. It was actually 
a Wednesday, and actually this is the week, we're hitting the four-week mark now, this week, that the Blackhawks last played a game on Wednesday, March 11th. He kind of mixes some of those days up uh, in terms of their last game and when the league was called off. You will also hear him be asked about uh, Rocky Wirtz telling The Athletic a couple of weeks ago, uh, stating that Stan Bowman and Jeremy Carlton will remain in their respective roles during the offseason, that there will not be any changes as far as that is concerned, um, whether we finish the season or not. He was also asked about the teammate he would most and least likely want to be quarantined with. Uh, also, some of his viewing habits, and Joe and I will touch on our personal viewing habits a little bit well uh, after that. That's the, uh, that's the answer you'll also hear Alex Petrangelo uh, take part in. Uh, also, the game they'd most want to rewatch. He finishes up with a message to fans, and uh, it's all very good and very encouraging. Chin up, captain, half glass half full as he always is during tough times when we're uh, speaking strictly about the Blackhawks fortunes but uh, here he begins this again edited down uh, version of the press or the um, video conference just to primarily Jonathan's thoughts about how in general he has been spending his downtime still find stuff to do I moved into a new place during the season this year and I think you guys can all agree during the year you you kind of put a lot on the back burner with uh, how busy the schedule was and all that so just uh, just catching up Calling some friends, uh, you know, little things that I don't really have time to do when we're when we're in season. So, so you guys are all at the stage of your career where you, you you know how to work out, you know how to ramp up for things, and I'm I'm just wondering about a not having team facilities to use, and b not knowing when you're going to start again. How much that complicates what you're doing physically? It is hard to tell. I know that first three, four, five days after. Uh, we basically woke up in the morning on Friday morning. We played Thursday night. I forget who we even played at home, but they said we'll come to the rink, and it just kind of the season just turned on a dime just like that. So since then, it's uh, kind of didn't have that motivation to do much the first four or five days, and then since then, we're kind of getting back and riding the bike and and thinking, hey, like at some point this has to wrap up. We got to go back to our normal lives, and just not sure when that is. So hopefully, it's sooner uh, sooner rather than later. Rocky Ward said last week that same leadership group will take you guys forward. Uh, how do you feel about where the franchise is? And it seems like you guys, you know, as much success as you had, it was a relatively short time. You seem to be back on the upswing now. And how confident about that do you feel? Yeah, I mean, regardless of what's going on in your organization, I think your job as a captain, as a player, and I mean, for myself and for the other guys that uh, – I've been in a room for for a while. It's just to focus on on getting the most out of ourselves, but getting the most out of our group. And I think uh, we went through quite a few serious injuries with key players, guys that had you know experience in the playoffs. And but I think that brought that character and that leadership in the room as well. So that definitely hurt us. Uh, but on the other hand, we got some young players who are learning and getting better really quickly. And I think we showed a lot of signs this year even if we weren't sitting in a playoff spot right now, that uh, um, we're, we're right on the right on the edge. I mean, we had St. Louis, uh, you know, with a, a lead in their own building a couple times, but we found one below it. So it's just that experience and playing against the top teams and, um, you know, getting back to that, that, uh, that level that we know we can be to be a playoff contender. You survived five years of rooming with Patrick Kane. So which uh... – Teammate, would you most want to be quarantined with? And which teammate would you least want to be quarantined with? And why? 
Most, uh, I guess I'd start with the most, I'd probably say Corey Crawford. Uh, just kind of an easygoing guy and, you know, whatever you want to do, he's, he's down for whatever. And, uh, I'd say least since I roomed with him for so long, I'd have to say Kaner. There's some, there's some <laughs> ups and downs through that relationship there. <laughs> hey, you stopped talking, so I guess you don't want to be more specific. Yeah, it, uh. <laughs> let's, uh, let's see if we can figure out what's getting you guys through these things. Binge TV, music or books. Let's start with TV. Um, Alex, at the end of the day, you get, do you get a, an hour or so with your wife that you can silent, quietly watch something? I spend my hour cleaning. Last night I cleaned and my wife was watching Harry Potter. So <laughs> that pretty much sums things up around here. And then cartoons. That's literally all we have on our TV. I only need like three channels. <laughs> I'm imagining it's different for you other two guys. Jonathan, what are you watching these days? Uh, the last few nights, uh, getting into the third season of Ozarks. I think that's uh, uh, phenomenal. The that everyone's into. And I mean, I, I love it. I think it's great. Other than that, uh, not a whole lot. I'm really starting to feel bad for Petro over here. No, it's all good. <laughs> when, you're, when you have your own kids, you'll realize that it yeah. doesn't matter. It's, it's, your, it's just part of life. It's all good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if you could pick one game that you played in or maybe even that you didn't play in that you'd like to rewatch if you had, if you had two and a half hours, what, what would it be? Jonathan probably have three obvious ones, but do you have a not obvious one? Uh, it was definitely a couple against St. Louis and Nashville, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's funny just because, you know, I've definitely had the time to sit back and, and watch these two guys in the playoffs and the runs they've been on the last few years. Well, I'm just sitting at home in April, May, June. and um, But I feel like the last time we won 15, uh, Tampa was kind of that first example of, of just where the game was headed. They had smaller D-men and forwards that could skate and, and it wasn't as physical of a series as, as we had maybe against Anaheim in the, in the uh, conference final. But I feel like that's where the game has really gone nowadays, that every team can skate. They got forwards and D-men on all four lines that can fly. <clears throat> so um, just been watching some of those games and, and seeing how it compares to, to the playoff games in 15 and 13 in, in all those years and it's it's the game's definitely changed a lot for sure. Message to the fans. Well, I guess I just say uh, first of all, we uh, love our fans. We miss them. We miss uh, seeing everybody at the United Center. Obviously, this is a a crazy time, a tough time for everybody. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can learn probably is no matter uh, what your background, what your Political views are, I think we all kind of uh, are coming together on this, and that's just the biggest thing. I think you guys all know what it takes to have a winning hockey team. You have to have everybody come together, and I think that's uh, that's the biggest message right now is coming together with your family, your friends, your community, and, and uh, you know, wait this thing out. we got to do what we got to do, and we'll get through it. It was uh, good to hear the captain once again, and uh, player availability is very limited through all this. Uh, uh, teams, I think, in general, unless it's kind of uh, a push from the NHL, player avail- availability very limited. But uh, there, Jonathan was a part of that conference call, and again, uh, 
encouraging words and and words of good advice uh, from him to all of us uh, to try to do the right thing until some answers are found, until the tide gets turned. But uh, it was great hearing him, and you had to figure he was going to give a little zinger to Patrick Kane uh, in terms of the the teammate he would least want to be quarantined with. And uh, surprise, surprise, as far as the the captain goes. Right? I actually, I was I was not surprised about the Corey Crawford mention though. Yeah, yeah, I think those two guys are kind of peas in a pod. You I, know, I think so too. Corey yeah. Crawford seems like a very easygoing guy, isn't really too rattled by too much. Um, <laughs> you know, what? I'm going to throw out on it, throw out an idea. Obviously, because we haven't been doing too many Blackhawks crazy questions, the slap shots. Why don't if, if you're listening now, why don't you give us a hashtag, Slapshots. Who would you like to be quarantined for the Blackhawks roster, and who would you not like to be? Why don't, okay. you, why don't you do that? All right. Uh, Patrick Sharp is retired, ladies, so uh, <laughs> don't, we're talking about uh, current gentlemen. Blackhawks. Current Blackhawks players. But uh, Talk about good facially. I got, uh, I got uh, a kick out of some of those responses, and you also heard Jonathan talk about really the, the news item that came along. Uh, Rocky Wirtz was granted an audience with The Athletic shortly after the stoppage occurred, the pause, if you will, occurred. And he was asked and he answered that uh, there will be no changes in terms of the roles of General Manager Stan Bowman and Head Coach Jeremy Colleton moving forward, regardless of whether the regular season resumes or there is a playoff or there is no hockey at all until a, a next season begins. And uh, I thought it was uh, rather interesting, but at least it's one question that is out of the way, whether fans want to agree with it or not, uh, some sense of clarification. And, you know, I, I think as we enter the, the great unknown here, perhaps Rocky felt that was something he had to do at the time. So all this, all this kind of speculation can end, even though the Blackhawks uh, at this point, you know, are, are missing the playoffs for a third consecutive year. Obviously, with everything going on in humanity, sports and uh, signings and and statuses of general managers and coaches seem very much on the back burner. But it was pretty interesting to hear Rocky Wirtz go ahead and make that vocal. And clearly, like you said, I'm sure there are plenty of Blackhawks fans that aren't agreeing with that move or lack of move. But I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm unsure of whether or not it was the right move for him to go out and say it. Like you said, maybe it's, it, it's the right situation because no one wants to think about their job security right now mm-hmm. because people are already dealing with that. Yeah. And in the sports realm, you just kind of rely on it right now. But I did find it very interesting that he he puts his faith in his decision makers and head coach right here and right now to avoid those conversations later on down the line. Uh, You almost, I I think many Blackhawks fans would like to see not panic or anything, but just, just something being done after the lack of playoff appearances by this team over the past couple of years. But we've been on record saying that, okay, if, if Blackhawks fans want the heads of Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton, who are you hiring? Who are you hiring today? Mm-hmm. Because th- that's the thing. You can't just make a move to make a move. That's, that's not a solution. That's just working on emotion and, and working on what you're in the heat of the moment. So, I mean, have an idea, have a motive. I think Rocky Wirtz has done that, and, and clearly there are so many positives that Stan Bowman has done in his time here with the Blackhawks, and we have seen that from Jeremy Colleton. So, well, I think the main thing is Rocky Wirtz wants to see some actual momentum from these two working together and Colleton working with his team and see some traction rather than two seasons where both guys are on the hot seat and it's playoffs or die when you do see some positives coming out from this team and 
now everything that's gone on, it, it makes things a lot more complicated. It makes things a lot more uncertain. And you're really not going to see anything play out until we start playing hockey again. Who knows when the season will end? The off season will begin. Who knows when next season is going to begin? But uh, I think some of all that uncertainty played into part of Rocky's decision and to try and bring some stability, whether, whether again, we're, whether Blackhawk fans... Uh, you know, uh, are supportive of it or not? I'm I, I, usually I, I, I would think uh, after three consecutive uh, you know missed playoff appearances, something drastic would have happened. So, um, Rocky making that decision to uh, to move forward, and there is just a, a great unknown here. And based on the way we head into this week, where everyone is talking about from a Chicago land standpoint, things are going to get worse before they get better, and. When you start thinking of the possibilities of whether not only hockey but any sports resumes with the, the nature of this illness and this pandemic that we're facing, why people are being kept away from each other, the great unknown of not having a vaccine, of not having, you know, who's carrying it when they're asymptomatic, trying to get teams, athletes, fans together all in one place thousands of fans or whether it's played before an empty arena or empty stadium players going up against each other to me this is this i hate to be debbie downer and glass half full here but to me this is still a very long game that's going to be played before unfortunately we see sports again if you know i i know the 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 president and his administration is trying to put a positive spin on these things and uh, emphasizing good things are happening, but based on some of the numbers that we're seeing and the nature of this virus, it's pretty scary if you think, what is going to have to be done in order to get life back to normal with thousands of people in one place, you know? I'll I'll be honest. I, I mean, before I headed in today, I, I was still pretty optimistic about a hockey season beginning, but, you know, you mentioned your thoughts, and you also mentioned what Ben Pope wrote from the Chicago Sun-Times about, about Robin Leonard and Eric Gustafson being moved by the Blackhawks, but Robin Leonard said he sees a 0% mm-hmm. chance of this season returning. And Robin Leonard's the guy that's always going to speak his mind. I get that. Um, but he, what does he say? He says, you can't turn around 180%, or rather 180 degrees, to go from absolutely not playing, not even you know, being on the workout regime that your team would expect you to, unless, you know, I'm sure there's some players that are doing it religiously. Um, but you really think about it, the regular season would have ended yesterday. Mm-hmm. So the playoffs would have ended two months from today, which we're talking on Sunday night, April 5th. So that would be around, you know, early June. And then you start talking about next season, which begins in late September with the preseason and then picks up in October. I mean, that's really, really close. So you almost have to figure out which one you're going to take away from. Are you going to take away from this season or are you going to take away from next season? Because something's going to happen that way. And Chris, you know, you might be drastic, but I think you might be right. This might just come to a halt so that next season can get picked up seamlessly and we can get back to things normally in 2020, 2021. But again, that's expecting that this thing is a lot more tame and a lot more figured out by, heck, not even September, like just July. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are, again, there are so many unknowns. And the thing about hockey is, okay, yeah, you've got the fans. You take out the fans, it's still a contact sport. I mean, you're rubbing up against guys like crazy. There's DNA being swapped around, you know, sweat, spit, blood. And there's no way you can police that. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I wanted to be the good cop in the situation, but people got to start realizing and maybe thinking about this. Yeah, and obviously we're hoping, yes. hoping that this thing gets solved. But that's the, lightly the way, put. The way the, the way this is inched along and as dangerous it is, as it has been. I'm starting to have concern over over next season as well. And and again, my my hope is I love going to practices every day and go to the United Center every day, but this is a this is a much bigger issue and uh as much as we're all missing it and loving it and wanting to get back to it as much as possible, you got to be smart. <laughs> Knowing how how much devastation has already been issued through this. You made an allusion as, as, as we move along here to a couple of other topics about uh, Ben Pope had a real interesting article over, over the weekend about the fact, looking back at the trade deadline, a lot of people were disappointed about uh, what the Blackhawks got in return for the two deals with Gustafson going to Calgary and Leonard going to Vegas. The Hawks getting a, a second rounder and a defensive prospect from Vegas along with Malcolm Subban and then a third rounder from Calgary. But in retrospect, when we look at what this season may turn out to be, parentheses, over, question mark. Calgary only gets Eric Gustafson for a handful of games. Robin Leonard plays, what, four games for the Vegas Golden Knights? And the Blackhawks are able to secure a, a second round, a third round pick, a defensive prospect. You don't know what his ceiling's going to be. But they almost look better now in retrospect if that is the way things end up playing out. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll all come down pretty much to what they do with those picks and you know how Slava Demon turns out to be. Unfortunately, what Malcolm Subban played a total of two minutes in a Blackhawks <laughs> uniform when he he came out in an emergency situation. But uh, yeah, yeah, real unique take and real unique thought. Um, if there's anyone out there that's maybe concerned about the whole service time with these players being on these teams, I mean, look at baseball. Baseball's talking about if they don't have a 2020 season, those guys' contracts will still act as if they played right, in 2020. Right. So explain that to the L.A. Dodgers, who mm-hmm. just traded for Mookie Betts. Um, yeah, I mean, very interesting. Obviously, for the sake of sports, you don't really want that to happen, but hey, maybe there's a silver lining for the Blackhawks moving forward. And just going back to it, and I do believe we talked about this on the podcast after our podcast about the trade deadline, but a lot of people that think that maybe the Blackhawks got shortchanged in their return, it does seem like it's very hard to move not a backup goaltender, but a second goaltender, which what is what the Hawks did with Robin Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, because anyone that was going to take him was either going to replace somebody or, or be their number two, and in this case, to Vegas, number two. Um, you're not going to get that much in return for a guy that's going to be a free agent by next season. So if we were harsh on Stan Bowman and the Blackhawks, I do want to make that known that we probably should retract that a little bit and... Heck, like you said, maybe this can turn out to be a huge move for the Hawks. All right, so we've gone over Rocky's statement about Stan and Jeremy. We've gone over these deadline trades. We've also talked about our uh, our gut feelings on things, uh, about this really being a very long game before we get to see games again. And again, we, we certainly hope that uh, you know it, it does turn out to be a shorter period of time. Uh, just a couple of uh, bits of business here. Uh, last week, the Hawks also announced that Matthew Highmore and Kevin Lankinen were signed to two-year extensions through the 21-22 uh, seasons. Uh, both of them two-way deals in the first year of the deal, one way in the second. Both are under a million dollars. They also signed their two 2017 third-round picks. Very promising. Evan Barrett had three great years over at Penn State, a three-year entry-level deal. The other 2017 second-rounder. All right, pause. 
Think about it. Andre Altiparmakian, uh, a two-year, a two-year entry-level nice. deal. Yeah, he's been playing in the KHL. Alti Barmakian. So uh, those guys are under Blackhawks property as well. And uh, finally, stick taps again to the Blackhawks Foundation. They matched $100,000 in donations that they received from the public to support Chicago's COVID-19 rescue uh, fund. And then on top of that, the captain, Jonathan Taves, threw in a hundred grand out of his own pocket. So $300,000 raised between the captain, the foundation, and all the fans with the foundation vowing to match one hundred grand in a donation. So one, well, wonderful and, work there. And the efforts of the people at the United Center, too, right, right with the food drive. I mean, yeah, just, mm-hmm. just phenomenal work. And, yeah, leave, leave it up to Captain Sirius to uh, help out in a situation like this once again. Before we go to the 2010 recap, one other thing that Jonathan mentioned or talked about in that – uh, video call with uh, two of his uh, other Central Division players, Petrangelo and Ro- uh, Ro- uh, jo- Yossi. I was trying to combine Roman Yossi, uh, Roman Yossi to Rossi. Um, <laughs> the viewing habits since then. And uh, Joe, I know you watched it. I, I watched it a little bit after that. Uh, you heard Jonathan mention Ozarks. Uh, I love Ozark. It just got done with season three. Man, is it phenomenal. I don't know, are you an Ozark No, that's, that's on the checklist, right. too. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, yeah, I know. Definitely get to that. Maybe that'll be our uh, season, next podcast. Season three is even more intense, than, <laughs> and uh, it, it really flies off the rails. And uh, yes, there will be a season four, judging by the end of uh, season three. And then, of course, there's Tiger King. It just sucks you in. <laughs> From the first episode on, Is like... These are actual people in our country doing these things and uh, almost a little bit of war, too, and and, uh, also ends ends with controversy from the the person who... uh, seem to get off the hook <laughs> carol. it's it's uh yeah that that darn carol baskin it's uh the elevation of the drama and the suspense in that series just just climbs a mountain from episode one to episode two episode one i was like wow this is pretty interesting i i, I gotta keep watching this and by episode two i'm like what the heck is going on i i cannot i cannot turn this off um. Yeah. I, I, if you're living under a rock and you haven't watched Tiger King, please do so. It is the wild. The only reason you'll turn it off is if you're just too too entertained. If you are just this is way too much for me. Because if it if it were a fictional show, you would not believe right, what was going right. on. Exactly. And yeah, I, I, you could tell by episode five or six the way things were going to end. Mm-hmm for the the central character in this and then it was just a matter of all right who else might be ended up going to jail or not so well the and the best part about the whole documentary is the the main guy joe exotic he wanted everything to be filled and he brought cameras in and he did it a lot on his own so there they the the people of this the directors and producers and the filmmakers of this documentary just just hit a gold mine with it because the guy loved nothing more than to be in front of the camera and uh Boy, he got it. Yep, uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing. And again, you know, uh, seven hours or so of television. Uh, you certainly have the time to do that. If, if anyone hasn't checked it out yet, uh, Tiger King is one of those options, along with a slew of others. I'm actually going back and watching since since season ten of Curb Your Enthusiasm ended, mm-hmm. right as the stay at home was uh, was ending. I'm going back to season one and looking back at some of those episodes that still hold up and. Uh, 
Yeah, Larry is such an idiot character in those episodes, but uh, at a time you need laughter, shows like that are definitely needed. Uh, hey, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, we were just talking about Tigers, but back to the panda, Robin Leonard. You mentioned his doubt about a season starting up again, but also wanted to salute him because Sunday was, he tweeted out his second anniversary of him deciding to go and get help, and uh, he's turned his life around, says it's been the happiest two years of his life. So uh, again, congratulations to former Blackhawk, Robin Leonard, uh, as he celebrates his uh, second anniversary of uh, sobriety as well. And uh, for all those uh, folks out there who are challenged by such things, it is an extra challenge being stuck at home, having work anxiety and things like that. So we hope uh, everyone from that standpoint is uh, making do quite well. Okay, so we've been going through the 2010 Stanley Cup season on Saturdays and Sundays. That's where we're at right now. We will go through replays of the 2013 and 2015 Stanley Cup runs as well. Uh, as we continue to move along here without sports, without hockey, uh, the Blackhawks and WGNN, the NHL, uh, uh, very graciously allowing us to uh, revisit some of those great times. And let's just quickly go through series by series. Uh, let's see. How, you were uh, still in still in college. My freshman year. Can't forget it. Can't forget it. 2010. I well, can almost remember every clinching was, game where I was, I was at, uh, what was, bar I was I at. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, working my tail off trying to cover <laughs> these guys on the TV side of things. But uh, what what a pleasure it was, as as exhausting as it was being a part of that run, and uh, just the the grind. I can only imagine what it's like for the players as as you know a, a broadcaster following this team step by step, game by game, city by city through it all it's uh it's uh, a little bit of a, an exhausting process as well but who are we to complain and let's start out with uh, any memories of that that first round series against nashville the thing that i mentioned when we started this out uh, a couple of weekends ago you really understand the very nature this is the blackhawks team that set franchise records during the regular season uh they were still only a second seed in the western conference and nashville was a seventh seed and they had a hundred points they were a seventh seed, but it was a tough matchup for the Blackhawks. I think they won this regular season series 4-2. That would be how this playoff series would end, but man, what a taffy pull and tug of war it was for the Blackhawks against those Barry Trotz teams, the neutral zone trap, and the the great unknown. You know, there, there was still a sense of Chicago-like sports panic when they lose game one at home. They're only able to, uh, you know, split the first four games, and it's those not-in-your-stomach moments during the course of a playoff run. You can look back and talk about how fun it was, but when you're going through the grind and going through all the anxiety and uh, uh, you know the, uh, the nail-biting excitement of those games, that Nashville series was just as gr- uh, gr- uh, much of a grind to start this successful Blackhawks run as they've had of any series. It was kind of a tip of the iceberg. You're right. Thing. It was. It's so easy to forget how stressful that whole that series that whole playoff run was because of what the Hawks were able to do that year and then in 2013 and then in 2015 but they were still trying to end that 49 year doubt drought mm-hmm. and um I, I I'll be honest today all I did was watch highlights from each game I think I missed the the last two wins of the Stanley Cup final against Philly but what I got from when I watched this uh highlights of the series against Nashville Pekka Rinne played out of his mind this earlier in the series more than later Mm -hmm. but that was a great goaltender he coughed up two five on five goals in the first three games Mm -hmm. Hawks had four goals half of them were penalty or rather power play goals I mean 
they were not the Blackhawks that we knew. And it took that fourth game where they evened up the series to finally break through. And Chris, it wasn't until that game five that they had a series lead. I totally forgot about all this. I just thought they just kind of powered through Nashville, yeah. moved along, you know, set the set the standard for this this first Stanley Cup run. But no, that was a dogfight. It really was. Um, Martin Erat, I forgot how much I hated him back then, just because how good of a player he was. But yeah, I'm telling you, Pekka Rinne, I'm watching it. I mean, he he outplayed Antti Niemi in those first three games. And all I kept thinking about was, this is a great goaltender. He still does not have a Stanley Cup championship. And he played out of his mind in those first couple of games and and once again falls to the, uh, whatever, the Blackhawks were the Nashville Predators kryptonite. Yeah, and, and Niemi and Rene had never played in a single playoff game prior to that series. Niemi, obviously a rookie. Uh, Rene, I think, was in his second year. I think Nashville may have missed the playoffs the year before that. And both of them weren't necessarily the number one goaltenders until after the Olympic break that year, when both of them really took the bull by the horns of their respective teams. And uh, Niemi and Rene were two of the very best goaltenders of the entire NHL from the Olympic break on. Uh, Rene won the job from Dan Ellis while Cristobal Huey was going to be the Blackhawks number one goaltender until Niemi had seven regular season shutouts. Then he had two in this first round series and, uh, he was kind of a roller coaster. There was a great sense of uncertainty heading into that series about the Blackhawks. Yeah, everything else is great, but they only have this rookie goaltender. How is he going to hold up during the uh, intensity of a playoff run? But then it all came down to Game 5. And you talk about roller coaster of emotions. Game 5 at the United Center, after the Hawks, even the series in Game 4 in Nashville, they come home, they have themselves a 3-1 lead, they blow it. Nashville's <laughs> leading 4-3. Marion Hosted takes a boarding penalty in the final two minutes, so you think... They're going to blow this. They're going to be trailing three games to two, heading back to Nashville. A five-minute boarding call against Marion Hosa with a little bit more than a minute left when the Blackhawks were trying to, or had the extra attacker on to try and tie the game. So they're actually shorthanded in this situation. And that's when perhaps we knew this was going to be the greatest game in Blackhawks history. The two seminal moments. Let's start out with what would be a shorthanded game-tying goal in the final seconds. As John Weideman and Troy Murray called it back on that uh, April afternoon in 2010. There goes Niemi to the Hawk bench. Taves across the Predator line, left wing. Took it to the half boards. Turns away to the point. Flips it across Seabrook, right circle. He shoots. It's deflected off the post by Duncan Keith. Erat winds it around, but not out. Sharp in the right half boards. To Seabrook, to Taves, right circle. Shoots, save, rebound, score! Patrick Kane! A short-handed goal for Patrick Kane! His first of the Stanley Cup playoffs in his career! And he ties the score at four! And once again, the UC is up for grabs! Hi Blackhawks fans, Big House here. I miss you guys. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and taking care of each other in these difficult times. Do you guys remember this game? Well, I definitely do remember. I remember a few things I want to share it with you. Well, first, at the end of the game, one of the greatest games, up and down games, I got a five minutes penalty and I go to penalty box. I feel shame. I'm sweating bullets for five minutes, but good things happened. Patrick Kane scoring 13 seconds left of the game. We pulled the goalie 
and he tied the game up. It's 4-4, we go to the dressing room, and I'm sitting quiet in a corner of the dressing room, and I'm hoping we can kill another four minutes of my penalties. PK did an excellent job. We killed the penalties, I'm jumping on the ice, and we can watch it together. Here is Boland in the corner, and Dave Boland did an excellent job passing to Brent Sopel, and uh, you can see him in the corner coming from the penalty box in front of the net. Hawks come to full strength, closes out of the box. Jalmerson put it in behind the net to Boland. To Sopel right point, hammers a shot. The puck is coming to me, and what I'll have to do, just put it in the net. Here's Hawks on the rebound, scores! Win! win! One of the most amazing feeling in my career. Still got the chills. We go to Nashville. We win the game there. We go to round two, round three, Stanley Cup finals. We're winning the Stanley Cup for the Chicago Blackhawks. Being in uh, Stanley Cup finals three times on the row, finally winning my first one, it was the best feeling as a hockey player. So there you heard Marion, the highlights, the call, and then uh, the Kane game winner, as uh, the game came game time goal, man, it was so fast and furious. I can't even keep it straight here. 10 years later. And then Hosa coming out of the box 10 seconds afterwards, after his penalty was expired, a huge kill by the Blackhawks. And uh, then he ends up getting the game winning goal. Uh, that is the definition of drama and elation for Blackhawk fans. All in, the, all in the span of what turned out to be five minutes or so of playing time. Who knows where the Blackhawks <laughs> are now if, if that doesn't happen. If, if Patrick Kane doesn't tie it, if Marion Hossa doesn't, doesn't win the game after coming out of the box. Pierre Maguire called it right when Kane tied up the game. He said, this is a turning point in this series. And it who knows, it could have been a turning point for the Chicago Blackhawks franchise, really. And they ended up uh, taking care of Game 6 uh, to win in Nashville and capture that first-round series. And then came a much-anticipated second consecutive year, a second-round series against Vancouver after the Blackhawks shocked the Canucks in 2009 in the playoffs. And it was really the... You know, uh, hey, we have something here moment a year prior that this franchise has really turned things around. And there's a reason for a lot of hope and excitement here. When they knocked off the Canucks in 2009, a second straight second round series against a Vancouver team that advanced against the uh, L.A. Kings in six games. It was the rematch that everyone wanted. And of course, for the second consecutive series, the Blackhawks lose game one at home. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's that feeling in the pit of Blackhawks fan stomach. They win game two, then go to Vancouver uh, against the Canucks team that had won 30 games in the regular season at home to uh, tie for the lead in the NHL. They only lost 11 times at home all regular season, and then boom, the Blackhawks take care of business with a Dustin Bufflin hat-trick in Game 3, a Jonathan Taves hat-trick in Game 4. So here we go, back home for Game 5. Let's seal the deal, and they lose at home again. (laughs) Convincingly. Yeah, and I I remember the exasperation of that, because, and it's a bad way to play it, but uh, being a reporter at the time, uh, we told our office, 
don't bother with the return trip to Vancouver, booking wow. the flight or anything like that. And all of a sudden, in the third period of that game five, it's, you're scrambling and you're looking for flights <laughs> the next day out to get to Vancouver in order to cover the team as they arrive there. And then uh, what would be a game six. And uh, in that game six, you know, this was the Dustin Bufflin coming out party. These next two series against Vancouver and San Jose, it was when Joel Quenville made the decision in game three to put Bufflin on a line with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. In that Game 3, Buff scores two power play goals and then really puts the icing on the cake with the final uh, uh, goal and a 5-2 to two victory in that particular one. And then uh, in uh, Game number 6 in Vancouver, they had themselves a uh, 3-2 lead, I want to say. No, it was, a, uh, it was a 3-1 lead in that uh, third period. The uh, Hawks did get out to a 3-0 lead after two. Vancouver tries to get some life with a goal early in the third period, but then the Blackhawks are able to put this away with back-to-back goals less than a half a minute apart. Uh, Let's hear Patrick Kane and Dustin Bufflin put the icing on the game and that particular series punching their ticket to round three, as John Wyneman and Troy Murray called it on 720 WGN. The clock continues to move slowly. We're just under 12 minutes here at GM Place in the third. Miami directs it to the far corner. Keith looks left and right. He'll feed it up the far side. Taves with it. Rink wide. Kane kicks it into the slot. Might have some room. Walks and shoots. He scores! Patrick Kane kicked it to his blade. Danced down the slot and fired it. Five hole on Luongo. 4-1 Blackhawks. That was a nice play by Dustin Bufflin. Along the half boards, inside their own zone. Good support from Jonathan Taves. About a 5-foot, 10-foot pass between Bufflin and Jonathan Taves. The Vancouver Canucks defenseman got caught pinching in there. Sammy Salo not back in support. Kevin Bieksa loses positioning on Patrick Kane. He thinks Patrick Kane's going to go to the outside. He just takes this off his skate, cuts right through the middle of the ice. And Bieksa, who may be a little bit tired, didn't have a response to the quick stride of Patrick Kane. A little deep five hole, and the Hawks have regained their three goal lead. Seventh goal for Patrick Kane that leads the team. Kane led during the regular season with 30 for the Blackhawks. What a huge tally that was. Here's Bufflin in all alone, left circle, walks toward the slot, fires, he scores! Justin Bufflin left wide open, motored into the far circle, and sizzled a wrister home 5-1. So you could hear a pin drop at then General Motors Place in Vancouver as the Blackhawks uh, were able to seal the deal, knock out the Canucks for a second consecutive year in six games. Uh, A year prior, it was Roberto Luongo crying in the Blackhawks visitor's locker room after the Hawks knocked him off. And this one was probably an even more bitter pill for those uh, uh, the Canucks and their fans to swallow. And, and there were a lot of not-too-likable guys on the Canucks team. You're thinking of Alexander Burroughs to start off, Bieksa, Kessler, uh, Shane O'Brien, guys like that. And uh, it was real sweet. And, and, and the one moment of that entire series that I remember covering out in Vancouver is in that Game 3 when Buff scored the goal. You know, it was the Canucks just trying to constantly play catch-up once the Blackhawks got momentum. It was Buff spreading his yes. arms out wide and taunting the Canucks fans <laughs> as he skated alongside the glass there. Uh, having a view of that, at the time you're thinking, careful, Dustin, watch, watch what you're doing here. It's only game three. But then uh, he was a beast. 
in that series. But sometimes you need well, sometimes you need that, especially in hockey. You get that agitator, and that's exactly what Dustin Bufflin was, especially in that series. Um, a, a couple things again. I was I was watching the highlights of each game, and number one, like you said. Vancouver just comes in and shuts down the Hawks in Game 1. They win 5-1. The Canucks had the first six out of seven goals in that entire series. I mean, the the Hawks had to play comeback in Game 2 as well. Um, Game 3, Marion Hossa scores a goal. It was only a second goal of the playoffs at the time. Obviously, the first one we heard. But he he looks up into the sky. He he does the double thrust with his hands. And he screams, yeah, baby. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, his first language is not English. So how is that his just emotional, that is his, the first thing he thinks of to say is, yeah, baby? I mean, I don't know, it's not like we say expressions in Slovakian or Russian or anything like that. I found that very interesting, uh, but it's just so cool, the back-to-back hat tricks. I mean, a guy like Dustin Bufflin getting a hat trick mm-hmm. in the playoffs regardless. Uh and like you said, coming out party for for Dustin Bufflin. That was also when he just become became such a pivotal piece in the Blackhawks organization. I mean, so many Chicagoans will remember him forever because of his efforts in that series. Net front presence, yep. a movable force. Uh, when when Joel decided to to put him up front, pretty much for good. Uh, so Dustin had four goals, six points in that series. The captain, four goals and twelve points in six games in that series. And I want to bring up one other thing before we move on to San Jose, Brent. Sopel, a, blo- a shot blocking machine in yeah. the first. You need guys like that uh, on your depth defense, on uh, your depth blue line uh, when you're going to make a, a Stanley Cup run. And you also saw Brent Seabrook in his prime was great, an absolute beast from the physicality to to you know his talent with the puck. Uh, I, I think it was game two, game two of that series. Yeah, because we just played that last weekend. He had a goal, two assists in a 4-2 win, eight hits, and uh, uh, watch, watching Brent's, you almost had to go back and see that again just to have kind of reignite your respect for what Brent Seabrook brought to the table uh, because there were a lot of Blackhawk fans at the time complaining, B, if I could use the B word, being about uh, mm-hmm. how the Blackhawks weren't nearly physical enough. Yeah, they had guys like Eager and Burrish and, and Bowling guys who could get under your skin. But uh, Seabrook was uh, really the big hitter on that team. And, and you could, if people have lost some respect for Brent Seabrook, I think going back and watching some of the, those performances in this 2010 run, you can regain some respect for the player he's been. Well, the, the other thing was how, how deep they were in, in toughness. I mean, yeah. Ben Eager, Adam Burrish, Dustin Bufflin, Brent Seabrook, and I mean, Marion Host is one of the strongest guys in the league at the time, too. I mean, that, that's the thing. That 2010 team was just so deep. Uh, maybe if we do enough of these, we can start talking about which cup teams are the best, and I, I just think it's very difficult to argue that 2010 was the deepest, and Maybe he had the most chemistry, too, because, you know, you read the stories about what that team was doing after games and just hanging out with each other, mm-hmm. but not just cliques of people. The entire team would, would be together after games. Well, there was a lot of hanging out between Series 2 and 3 because after the Blackhawks clinched in Vancouver, I remember we had to stay out west uh, waiting. San Jose had already clinched its series. They had eight days between games. The Blackhawks had five days between games before they could start wow. their series yeah, in San Jose right. because they were waiting for the Eastern Conference to catch up so you know, they could play on, on respective off nights. And so then the Blackhawks start their series in San Jose. They went to Alcatraz one day to kill some time. And right. uh, then they they open up. 
And this was when Antoniemi was at his very best. The first two games in San Jose, he was spectacular. And they won that first game 2-1. to one. They won that second game 4-2. They run their road-winning streak in the playoffs to seven consecutive games and bring things home in prime position to really knock off a San Jose team. Being very good. That was the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, but still couldn't get over the hump, and the Blackhawks prevented that once again in Games 3 with an overtime victory over San Jose, and that set things up for Game 4, and we speak about Dustin Bufflin. He had the game-winning goal in Game Number 1. He had the game-winning goal in overtime in Game 3 back at the United Center. Hawks down 2 nothing in the second period of Game 4. That second Sharks goal, uh, finishing off the sequence in which Dustin, uh, rather, uh, Duncan Keith got the puck off his mouth. Yep. Uh, Patrick Marlowe scored out of that sequence. Keith comes back, but then the Hawks start coming back, and it's a 2-2 game in the third period, and who scores a third game-winning goal in the series, but none other than number 33 on the power play. Taves wins a faceoff to Kane, who moves the puck to the deep slot, Campbell to Kane, top of the left circle. Carries, gave it a Taves, left circle, off his stick to Kane, put it in front of the score! Dustin Bufflin! A power play goal! Big Buff with a goal in each game of the series! Just scored another huge one for the Hawks! And for the first time in game number four of the Western Conference Finals, the Hawks lead the Sharks! So the celebration was on after that. The Blackhawks would add an empty net goal to seal the deal. Another great call from John and Troy is heard here on 720 WGN. And uh, I can remember the sense of elation throughout that, that throughout this city, uh, walking out of the United Center on a sunny Sunday afternoon after the Blackhawks had disposed of the San Jose Sharks, making their first Stanley Cup final appearance in 18 years. A lot of celebrating going on. You were talking about Antinami, and I, I mean to rewind a little bit here, but just some numbers. Antiniemi had 44 saves in Game 1 out of 45 shots. Game 2, he had 25 saves. Game 3, he had 45. I mean, that's 104 saves for Antiniemi in the first three games. And what I talked about Pekka doing in the first couple of games in that Nashville series, that's when you just saw Antiniemi at pretty much full confidence. At least that's what it looked like and just really soaked in the role of being the Stanley Cup champion goaltender. Um, the most, well, what I found ironic, this was the only series that the Blackhawks clinched at home that year, mm-hmm. and it was the only series they didn't have home ice advantage yeah. because the other ones were at Game 6 on the road. And, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, those are the top two seeds. It was the only series in which the Blackhawks did not have the lower seed, or I'm sorry, the higher seed. Um, but, boy, it, it was just... Because that was the hump they didn't get over the year before, mm-hmm. and and I think that was the biggest thing. And they did it in such dominating fashion, but but kind of not really also, because Game 3 was in overtime, yeah. and that could have gone either way, and San Jose coughed up the lead in Game 4. I mean, that that series changes significantly if Bufflin doesn't get that overtime winner. And again, that's why I think he's got such a huge piece in Chicagoans' hearts, because he was so clutch in that playoff run. So uh, that would set up a meeting with the Philadelphia Flyers, who in Round 2 became the second team in NHL history to rally from a three-games-to-none deficit, rallying from 3-0 down to, t- uh, to beat the ball. Boston Bruins, and then uh, it was them and the Montreal Canadiens in the Eastern Conference Final. The Flyers end up carrying that momentum into the Stanley Cup Final, so it would be the Blackhawks and the Flyers, and when this uh, series got underway, uh, perhaps the least you would expect the type of Game 1 it would be at the United Center. Hawks trailed 3-2 after 1. The game was tied 5-5 after 2. 
So who would end up winning this wild and uh, woolly affair? Well, there would be only one goal in the third period, and it came from Thomas Kopetsky. Here's Kopetsky around to the right corner. Spun at right point. Seabrook, that pass handcuffed him. Seabrook did well to keep it in the zone and did. The bowl in right point. The Sting right corner to Kopetsky. Moves it. Scores! Thomas Kopetsky from the left circle. Slides it low and along the ice and pass Boucher. And once again, the Hawks retake the lead. This time, it's 6-5 Hawks. We talk about physical element, and Thomas Kopetsky was another one of those guys who brought a little bit of uh, bristle to the lineup as well. And uh, not particularly a high-end offensive guy, but the type of player that Stanley Cup champions need to fill out you know, their, their top 12 uh, guys who can, can bring a little bit of a, a nastiness to the, to the table, and you can move up and down the lineup, provide a little bit of versatility. And for the longest time, he was on a line with Patrick Sharp and Marion Hosa, uh, Hosa and Kopetsky being very close friends. So he delivers the game winner in game number one. Hawks protect, hold serve on home ice in game number two, then move to Philadelphia and have themselves a cuffed, uh, tough couple of losses, including an overtime affair there. So, uh, this thing was all knotted up, and it is that point in the series after, you know, growing concern once again. All right, the Flyers have momentum. Hawks going back to Game 5, a crucial Game 5. That's when Joel Quenville decides, all right, with Chris Pronger uh, going up against that line of Bufflin, Taves, and Kane, which was not having nearly as much success as they enjoyed in the two as in the two previous series against Vancouver and San Jose, Joel decides, okay, well, let's make the Flyers decide where who they want to play Pronger against. And he splits those those that line up so it gives the Flyers something to think about how to use Pronger, whether it's you know, against the Taves line with Kane or Taves and Bufflin together or Kane and Bufflin together. And uh, it gave Peter Laviolette, the Flyers head coach, something to think about. And the Hawks able to secure a shutout victory in Game 5. And then they go on to Philadelphia in game number six, which would go to overtime. The Hawks thought they had this thing won in regulation. A late goal by Scotty Hartnell. I think it was with about three and a half minutes to go in regulation. All of a sudden, the Wells Fargo Center is uh, is uh, up for grabs once again. We head to overtime. That feeling in the pit of your stomach. And then in the overtime session, it's the goal that uh, all Blackhawks fans will come to know and love. Flyers get the puck back. Daryl Powell snaps it behind his net to Coburn near corner. Moves it around to Tiemann he'll pass up the left wing. Gagne at center ice in front of the benches. He lost the puck down into the Hawks zone to Nick Poynton. Whips it over to Campbell left wing boards to Patrick Kane over the center ice circle. Crosses the flyer line. Turning away to the right half boards. Kane flips it in front and it's over the stick of Campbell. That was the game winner right there. Now in the left wing corner in the flyer zone. Ladd wedged off the puck. Puck taken back by Campbell left point. Drops it to Kane on the left half boards. Here's Kane now. Juking his way to the right, lower left corner. Should he score? Oh, no, that's turned wide by Layton. Loose puck in the crease. And now it's in the net. They score! It's they, in! They score! It's in! The Hawks win it's the in. Stanley Cup! The Hawks win the Stanley Cup. Layton is down on his knees in the goal crease. And that one looked like it slid past him into the net. They're going to go and take a look. They're going to take a look upstairs. But everybody on the ice, nobody knew where the puck was. Layton froze in the goal crease. Let's see what we it's have It's in the here. back of the net. It's in the back of the net. The Hawks have won the Stanley Cup. Blackhawk fans around the world, you've endured 49 years of frustration. But your patience has finally paid off. Lord Stanley's new address is sweet home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. They've won the Stanley Cup. It's over the ice. ice. In Philadelphia, celebrating, bud. How about that? They've won it. The Hawks win the Stanley Cup. 
The it's Chicago over. Blackhawks are Stanley Cup champions. Oh, my. Look at the scene on the ice. Everybody hugging Antti Niemi to the left of the hot crease. And the helmets and gloves have all been cast <laughs> off. kidding me. Everybody hugging and grabbing everybody else. All down below us on the ice surface, the Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup for the first time in 49 years. So as a member of the media, there's there's great confusion, not only in everyone's call as to whether it was a goal or not, and the great confusion with just about everybody on the ice. But uh, as, as a member of the media, we were no longer in the bowl since it was overtime. We were downstairs on standby, lined up outside the respective locker rooms to go into whatever locker room or, in this case, if the Blackhawks won the ice, um, uh, to, to do our reporting duties. And there was one huge monitor that about 150 media members were all gathered around watching, and they were just as confused by what they were watching <laughs> on the monitors. Everyone in the bowl was, except for maybe Patrick Kane. And Patrick Sharp, I think, said he knew the goal went in. And uh, the celebration was on, and then it was really on once the uncertainty finally cleared. Yeah, I was at uh, Pat Griffin's house in his basement watching on a television I don't believe was... Everyone knows where they were. (laughs) I I don't believe it was HD, so I remember just watching it and thinking, okay, what's going on, what's going on, and no one really knows, and then we're all just inching closer and closer to the television to see and hear what they say. Uh, Yeah, what a moment, and uh, what a unique way to, to end the longest current drought in hockey at the time i believe um yeah and like you said no no chicago and we'll forget where they were how they felt what they thought at the time and then it just it was a little anticlimactic though because there wasn't this whole hurrah uh, moment and it seems like the only people that had it were patrick kane and patrick sharp Uh, i love too how they go to the end of the ice and yemi's just like well what (laughs) what's going on I, i like he's probably got the worst view out of anybody um, but yeah, what a what a memorable year! What a a memorable way to end it too. And then the crazy thing to think about it is, it's not the very beginning of Patrick Kane's iconic Hall of Fame career, yeah. but it's it's still in that first chapter, yeah, pretty much. Twenty one years old at the time <laughs> in, his, in his third season in the NHL, unbelievable. And uh, yeah, he got the uh, he ended up getting the Conn Smythe in that particular playoff run as uh, he ends up. I'm sorry, Jonathan Taves. Got the con smite, yes. I believe, in that first uh, in that first Stanley Cup run. It was Taves and Kane, and eventually Duncan Keith. And we'll get to the 2013 and 2015 Stanley Cup runs on our next Blackhawks Crazy podcast as we bring this to you. But you know, after the big celebration in Philadelphia, and you know, the fellow Flyers fans aren't the Philadelphia fans aren't the best to speak of, <laughs> and they weren't doing very nice things to the Blackhawk fans that uh, were assembled there until they finally were able to let it go and let Blackhawks fans celebrate after that overtime clincher in Game 6. Then it was back to Chicago a couple days later. I remember being a humid, sweaty day yep. out here at the corner of Michigan and Wacker, right outside our WGN studio windows, as a matter of fact. That's where everyone assembled for uh, the platform and the cup-raising end of the parade from the United Center. And uh, uh, Eddie Olchuk, the master of ceremonies, Christopher Stieg doing his bad rap <laughs> as well. And uh, then there were a lot of changes after that. Uh, and it was part of the reworking of the Blackhawks roster due to salary cap restrictions. And we can only imagine... If there was no salary cap and the Blackhawks were able to find a way to continue have that team stick together, you know what what the ensuing couple of years before 2013 would have been like. Too. Yeah, I mean there there was a lot of concern. I mean, you go down the line, how many guys were moved? Bufflin was moved. Was Campbell moved? 
Uh, Niemi yep. did not continue. I mean, and everyone's you know thinking, what's going on? You're picking apart this core. Flash fast forward to the next couple of years, the Hawks are bounced in the opening round, and then they don't get there again until 2013. Uh, you know what else I noticed? Going through all these highlight videos, 2011 was Corey Crawford's first full year. I know he came up in like 05, 06. But I, I, I'm almost thinking that that's why he had gotten such a bad rap for all these years, is mm-hmm. because his first two seasons as the main Hawks goaltender, 2011, 2012, when they get bounced in the opening round and everyone's talking about this Blackhawks dynasty when they've only got one Stanley Cup to show for it. Clearly, he silenced those, or rather, Eventually, he silenced those critics. There were still a few out there, but I never understood what it was, that infatuation with disliking Corey Crawford. And now I think I understand why people got to that. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the heartbreaking series against Vancouver in 2011 and then just the uh, deflating one against Arizona in 2012. One other thing I wanted to talk about um, quickly with that Stanley Cup final. You go to Game 1, that 6-5 game, I think one of the best moves by Joel Quinville was not pulling Niemi in that mm-hmm. game. He coughed up five goals in the first two periods, but Peter Laviolette pulled Michael Layton and brought in Brian Boucher, and Joel Quinville kept anti Niemi, and I feel like that did wonders for his confidence in Game 2. There was only one time during that entire playoff run where Niemi was pulled, and it was in that Game 1 against Vancouver uh, when he let Cristobal Huey play the third period when the Hawks were already down by a score of 5 to nothing, uh, Maybe a chance for him to regroup and rest, and, and he had a knack all series, all, all that playoff run long, and even during the regular season prior to that, he had a knack for when he would have a subpar game, he would come back with a real strong one. And anti Niemi... Wasn't the greatest quote in the world. Neither was Dustin <laughs> Bufflin, for that matter. Not the greatest quote in the world. Kind of shy. And you were wondering what you were getting because he had kind of a baby face and, you know, had never been exposed to the intensity of that particular level. But, man, he was a cool cookie. And, and as it turned out in his career, he was another guy that the Blackhawks lost in that offseason along with Ladd and Versteeg. You yeah. mentioned some of the names. Bufflin. Uh he played his very best of his career during that rookie season. Was pretty good in San Jose a couple years after that, but then uh, it, it kind of derailed a bit, and uh, I know he's playing in the KHL right now, but uh, Antti Niemi, that, uh, that goaltender, to get the Blackhawks back from their 49-year drought. So again, a lot of memories coming from that 2010 team, and we will have another Blackhawks Crazy podcast to go over some of the 2013 highlights and another one at 2015. And, you know, uh, perhaps by that time we will have some clarity here and hopefully uh, a better outlook on the way things are where uh, we are a little bit more optimistic about about hockey returning. We can only hope that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to find any silver lining out of this whole thing, it, it is cool to go back and watch these games in full or or at least try to relive it um, because, you know, they're, they're important memories in Chicago sports fans' lives. And the other thing, it was just, it was a very... Very memorable and uh, you know moving and historic time to be in Chicago and and be a fan of of an organization that totally revived itself and and really put a, a burst of energy in this city. So it's it's cool to go back and appreciate all those 
people, players, and efforts that made that whole thing possible starting in 2010. We'll keep you up to date on when our next Blackhawks Crazy podcast will come. And uh, for me, just one other tidbit in terms of listening through these broadcasts, it gives me great pleasure because I was working the TV side in in, in the Blackhawks three Stanley Cup runs to hear John and Troy. I'm real. I, I'm as privileged as anybody to be sharing the booth with them, doing the pre and the post and the intermissions with them. But to hear their call, getting the first opportunity to really hear their call of these games when the United Center, especially those home games, is just crackling with excitement. Uh, it, it's really fun to listen to. And as we sign off, we do want to share as well uh, as we stick tap all the folks working in hospitals and grocery stores. Troy's daughter, Julie, works at Northwestern Memorial Hospital as a nurse. His other daughter, did uh, who's involved in TV in South Carolina, did a feature on nurses and and. Uh, Julie, uh, Julie was part of Phoebe's piece that Troy tweeted out last week in terms of his pride and what his two daughters are doing and his daughter, Julie, uh, working the overnight shift at Northwestern Memorial Hospital during these trying times. And we hope and pray for her health, everyone else's health, uh, working hospitals, all our, our medical folks in particular, that we find a way to get through that and all of you folks stay healthy as well. That yeah. goes for you too, Mr. Brand. Yeah, thank you very much. Right. But yeah, like you said, uh, uh, the most uh, gratitude and appreciation needs to go to the people on the front lines. Um, grocery store workers, delivery drivers, people working in restaurants, you know, please go go out and get food from a restaurant that, that could use the service and, and the help. Um, you know, we're kind of, it's one of those things where you're just all in this together and we got to help each other and... Uh, you know, don't buy in bulk. Buy what you need and, and get the heck out of there. Go back home. And um, it's great to hear that. That Wow. <laughs> Troy does so much for this world. I can't believe he does even more with his, with his offspring. Yes, uh, exactly that. And uh, again, uh, we hope everyone stays healthy. Do the smart thing in terms of what we have to do to get through this so we can get through it as uh, quickly as possible. Thanks again to FanList for being our presenting sponsor. And uh, to you for listening. Once again, we hope you'll continue to listen and we'll tweet out next time we have a Blackhawks Crazy podcast obviously available uh, by subscribing uh, on Apple Podcasts we'll tweet it out I'm at Bowden Tweets and Joe is at uh Joe underscore brand one thanks as well to Curtis Koch, who is just walking into the studio right now, <laughs> coffee in hand because he's had himself a long day for uh, putting this all together. And again, we hope you are enjoying our Blackhawks rebroadcast from the 2010, 2013, and 2015 playoff runs on Saturday nights and Sunday nights on 720 WGN. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!